at the Whiskey Festival out in Nashville uh, with uh, Rick Smith and uh, DJ from Smith Music, which, talking about Smith Music, let's go ahead and jump right into our sponsors, uh, first of which is smithmusic.com, then we got Texas Select Beverage Company, Sharp Supply Leather Company, as well as, um, boy, uh, it's, been a, it's been a week already, who's my other sponsor there? Uh, oh, our Watson boots. I don't want to forget that. They are they got making some of the best boots out there right now. They're a brand new company, but they are are taking the thing by storm. And uh, as well as Cinco Microphones, making high-tech, high-quality microphones at a budget price. And then last but not least, Fort Worth Camera. If you're in the DFW area, you need professional camera supplies. Uh, if you want to develop all that old film, you want somebody to just edit your photos for you, Fort Worth Camera's got you handled. So without further ado, we've got... An Oki in the house, Mr. Austin Dixon. Austin, how are you today, man? I'm good, man. It's a little yeah. uh, a little dreary and rainy here in Oklahoma today, but that's all right. We need some Is rain. it? Mm-hmm. Man, I, 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 I could honestly go for the rain. I think we're going to be 95 here in Fort Worth today, so. Um, yeah. yeah. And a lot not... of people don't like the heat, but I don't know. I'm a, I'm a heat guy myself. I, I could care less if winter ever came back again. well um for those that because i know when i was when i scheduled you uh my partner dusty said i don't think i know who austin is but so there might be some people out there that don't know who you are i found you on tiktok but uh why don't you tell everybody a little bit about how you got there's a lot of people yeah i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that don't know who i am and that's just fine (laughs) you know we're doing things like this to work on changing that but uh sure yeah, no, I've, I've been uh, been playing music for a long time, but I've only been performing in public for a couple years. Uh, well, I say that. I did some pop-up shows when I was in college at the University of Oklahoma, um, but they were pretty low-key. You know, I, there was no advertisement. I'd just show up to places that had open mics or local people that knew about me. I'd come in and play some stuff, and a couple of my fraternity brothers would show up, but it was never a big thing. And then, uh, oh, about... I think it was April of last year. There was a uh, there was a, a hip hop artist on TikTok that did a open verse challenge for a song he had called "Dear Alcohol," which he labeled as a country song. And uh, no offense to Dax or that song, but it is not a country song. It's a hip hop song with uh, and, and the you know the theme of the song is alcoholism. I guess that's why they called it a country song. I don't know, but uh, sure, sure. But anyway, I I did an open verse challenge for that, and it did like. 1.3 million views or something on Facebook and it did okay on TikTok too and that kind of started my social media following and then uh but everything was kind of quiet after that for a while and then 
I think it was August of last year, I had uh, a couple of country covers on TikTok start making their rounds, and the follower count kept going up, and I thought, all of a sudden, man, maybe this is a, maybe this is something I should look into, you know, so. Right, um, right. And I, I, I've been writing songs for a while, but I just, I didn't really know, I hadn't really decided whether or not I wanted to invest the proper amount of money into going to record music um and you know busting my balls for who knows how long to try to make a name for myself and because i i'd already put in six years in college of, you know getting a bachelor's and master's degree in meteorology and i kind of thought that was going to be my path forward but um then all of a sudden music became a real possibility and we started playing more shows and i'd already been performing uh lightly by the time those videos started going around um just some little places here in Oklahoma that I had some connections with. And then, uh, and then once TikTok and Facebook got going, it was like, I didn't even really have to try to book shows. You know, I would get calls from people all over the place wanting me to come out and play. And most of them have been smaller, have been smaller shows. Um, but that's started to change as of late. You know, we've been getting bigger offers and bigger opportunities. The more we've kind of gotten out there and started making that name, like we were talking about. So, yeah, sure. but uh, in terms of myself, you know, I'm from Sand Springs, Oklahoma, originally, which is just west of Tulsa, and uh, spent my whole life there until I went to college, and then I did four years at the University of Oklahoma, like I said, getting a degree in meteorology, and then I did a couple years at the University of Wisconsin for a master's degree, and then, uh, and you know, dabbling in country music all that time, writing songs all that time, but then... Um, you know, a couple of years after that, we started, or once I moved back to Oklahoma, we started hitting it pretty hard. And, uh, now we've got a, a new EP out, just put that out a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, at, at, we're not setting the world on fire with it, but I've actually been really happy with, with how it's done so far. I would say it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what good numbers are for a brand new artist, uh, in the first month, but I feel like they're pretty solid. So. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's all that matters is, um, you know, how you view the numbers. I actually had, um, Adam, Adam Hood on here two weeks ago, and we were talking about, um, Spotify in particular. And one of those <laughs> things that we talked about on Spotify was, uh, Spotify is the only place that has what I would, uh, kind of phrase as a speedometer, uh, it tells yeah. you. Um, how many plays you're getting in. And sometimes that speedometer can be good. Um, Adam was talking about how he uses it to kind of form his his set list when he's playing acoustic. He knows what songs are performing well and which ones aren't. But at the, the, at the same time, the speedometer can be really bad if you are using it to compare yourself to other artists because you might be in the same genre and you might actually be competing, but the, the paths and the journey you took to get there and uh, the people you are that got you there are two totally different people. So the the numbers don't always add up in that same same manner. So as long as you're happy with the numbers, that's all that really matters. I think, um, unfortunately, there's other in industries like booking that look at Spotify numbers as a metric for how much to pay you. Um, so that can be the downside of that, um, that kind of that speedometer on, on Spotify. But what's, what's your kind of feelings of... Uh, you, I mean, I, I know back in, it was 2015, you released a first, first kind of go at it, right? Yeah. Um, 
And if you what can even was... call it that, it was kind of just doing it for fun at the time. <laughs> and then you got your your five song EP that you released. Um, actually, that's what that's my wife's birthday, August eleventh, uh, this year. O Town, yep. Um, what's the what? Do you are you working with like a distributor? Are you working with a promoter? Are you working with anybody? You're doing it all yourself. It's all independent, man. I just put it out through TuneCore, um, and that was just. I don't know. I like the interface of TuneCore, and it seemed like a sure. seemed like a decent platform to use. Um, but hell, I may use a different one for the next go around. I don't know. I'm kind of. I used uh, Catapult Distribution for the first EP, and they. I, I looked into them again for this round, and it looks like they've really been behind in terms of development for, you know, user interface and tools and stuff. So I decided to not go with them for this round and. Uh, but yeah, otherwise I'm completely independent, you know, I'm not, um, sure. uh, we don't, we don't have a, a very big budget and so, you know, not really doing any kind of radio promo or anything like that right now, trying to use social media as much as I can to leverage that audience and get things out to those people. Um, but you know, the, the follower numbers are great, but it doesn't necessarily translate to listeners by any means. Um, you know, uh, the, the cool thing about TikTok is how easy it is to go you know anybody can go viral you don't have to have a huge number of followers to get a video making its rounds but on the flip side of that you know the the way that tiktok works is um you can follow somebody but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to see their stuff all the time sure. um you know i follow four or five hundred people on there and i i feel like i hardly ever see the people i follow on tiktok on my page so you know there's like 125,000 people on there or something that follow me but it you know, I definitely don't have 125,000 monthly listeners, so. Sure. <laughs> Fig- well, figuring let's, out. Let's, let's talk about TikTok for a second, because that's where I found you. And honestly, I have found a ton of um, artists on TikTok that, um, you know, may or may not have been found through traditional means. Um, and, and with myself, like I, I own <clears throat> Texas Country Today Radio, and it's I, I do things totally different than what a standard radio station does. It's not normal for a radio station program director to reach out to artists and say, hey, send me your music. I want yeah. to play it. You know what I mean? That's that's the, not how things are normally done. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with kind of breaking the mold and doing things the way that I want to do things. But on the flip side, um, TikTok can be kind of a double-edged sword. Um, mm-hmm. There's, um, like you're talking about, you know, you you follow X amount of people, but you don't always see their content and that's because I think most people, at least on TikTok, spend time on the for you page right. and not their uh, friends page or their following page. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and with that being said, that's, that's TikTok's algorithm trying to learn what videos you hesitate on. That's, that's TikTok trying to learn. Um, it's basically a marketing strategy AI on that for for you page that they are learning everything that you pause on everything that you like everything that you um you know uh do in there and then it recommends more videos like that that's how i feel like yeah. people don't know the for you page that's how that works and it even goes as far and it's kind of scary when you think about it but it even goes as far if you've seen those filters where it like tracks your eye movement um yeah where you're looking on the screen the for you page actually does that. It tracks your eye movement where you're looking on the screen on each individual video, and then it recommends more videos like that. So, um, very cool, but um, maybe not the best place for gaining listeners on on Spotify. I don't, I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like the people that translate social media success uh, over to DSP success, at least in a, a large fashion or a very successful fashion, are the ones that end up with a viral sound of some kind or a viral song, you know. Um, sure. Some examples I can think of are like Wild Is Her, Corey Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that song was huge on TikTok for like six months. And then uh, Ride the Lightning by Warren Zeters, that that song was really making its rounds for a while. Um, we Ride by Brian Martin was going crazy on Instagram for a while. And sure. those people, you actually do see a huge uptick in their listeners because people actually go and look for that song when it starts, you know, going viral on TikTok. But I think that's a, that's because of just the massive amount of exposure. I mean, if you have a viral sound on TikTok, you're talking probably hundreds of millions of views on that sound. And if that doesn't translate to tens of thousands of listeners, sure. then that doesn't really make any psychological sense. Whereas, you know, I, I can have a video do, I don't know, a hundred thousand views, but I always assume that it's about 1% of people that actually go and look for your stuff. Um, you know, and what's one, 1% of a hundred thousand is a thousand. So, you know, sure. that in reality, we're probably doing better than we should be right now. I mean, I, I've gained oh, a couple hundred monthly listeners a day for the last couple of weeks, which is super cool. But, uh, yeah, you know, my, my long-term goal is to get to a million, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might get there sooner than you uh, than you think, but um, if you don't mind, let's talk about the work that you put into some of those uh, TikTok videos. How, how often throughout the day are you recording, editing, and posting on the TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, that sort of stuff? Well, I just had a new baby, so it's been a, there's been a damper on it lately, but uh, but before she got here, it was congratulations by the way thank you uh we've been enjoying it but um but what really kicked things off and i think this is what kind of first of all last fall there was kind of a renaissance and in viral videos for i guess smaller pages um i think the algorithm changed four or five months ago and and things have been tougher but for a while i was posting four covers a day for uh for several weeks and that's kind of what got things really moving and i'd like to get back to that program because these these platforms just like you to feed them you know uh but that's how i was doing it and at that time i mean it was takes me about an hour to an hour and a half to record because i I usually do these what i call partial covers where i'll just do like a verse and a chorus because you know, it's uh, first of all, you get copyright strikes if you post the whole song. So yep. you can't really do that anyway. But I'd record about 60 seconds worth of a song on uh, Pro Tools or Adobe Audition or something, do a little bit of production, and then record a video for it. Um, I don't think it's any secret to anybody that's paying attention that I'm not always actually singing in those videos. I mean, I am. I, I always sure. sing along because it's very – it's way obvious that it's fake if you're just mouthing the words so i am sure. singing but that's usually not the actual recorded product in those videos uh they're kind of you know voiceover type things but uh yeah i'd record the video and then stitch them together and post them and you know i was doing that three or four times a day for a while and that would take up most of my day but um you know lately because i've been busy at home 
Uh, we're in the routine now, so I'm starting to get back to it. But uh, lately, I've been kind of recycling some old material. But yeah, that that was kind of the format for a while is record the you know first verse because you know, honestly, most people know the first verse and first chorus better than the rest of the song anyway. And uh, you know, post however many of them I could get out in a day and just hope one of them hits really. Sure. Sure. Well, um, do you follow any of like, um, like I, I follow a bunch of people on different social media platforms, but have you ever followed Gary Vaynerchuk? Yes. Yeah. And, so and a lot of, a lot of my philosophy in the, in the beginning was based on what Gary, we used to talk about, about how you, you just need to post, 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 post. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, so that's what I was doing. It, they did change from what I can tell, they did change the algorithm. I, but that's if, you know, I, I'd call them the legacy platforms They They seem to still be the most demanding on content to get that content out there. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They seem to really like it when you're posting six plus posts a day, uh, video yeah. posts, unique video posts. Um, Instagram has really hit it hard <clears throat> to where they want you to use their video editor, uh, for, mm for it to click into the um, algorithm properly. Um, you won't get you know, it, Yeah, Instagram has been the tough one for me to crack. Like Facebook's, um, Facebook's is doing extremely well in terms of followers. Sure. And TikTok has been doing, it was doing the best for a long time. It's kind of slowed down, but the numbers are still really good on there. But Instagram, I've only got like, 2000 or something on there and you know i've posted mm-hmm. a lot of the same stuff on instagram and it just does not get into the uh the share space like facebook and tiktok have for whatever reason sure yeah it's it, it really likes uh it likes you to use their their onboard um editor and then it's it's other things that i've uh i've heard and i can't confirm <clears throat> any of them because it's you know nobody I don't think anybody really truly knows, but it's, it's other things like, um, you know, you have to have so many words in your post, uh, for it to trigger certain things and like in the description photos and videos. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really weird, but, um, let's kind of get, I, 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 we could go down this rabbit hole of social media all day long, but let's talk about some <laughs> of the, some of the venues you've been some of the venues you've been playing, what's the reception been like? Are you still play? Obviously you're still playing a lot of covers. Um, but yeah. are, are the, is the reception to the songs on, on O town, but pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have, you know, and there's been, there's a, a couple songs on there that were kind of songs for me and my friends that I didn't think would really be, uh, widely received. And it's, it's funny. I've gone to some shows out of state even, um, where people are like, man, I, you know, O-Town, for example, um, that song is just a redneck party beer drinking song. It, sure. but it, it lays out a true story of a July 4th weekend here in uh, Oilton, Oklahoma, a few years back. And, uh, you know, that, that was kind of the first song that I wrote for this collection of songs. Would You Stay on that record is, a, is an old song. I've had that one laying around for a long time, but... O Town was the first song that I I wrote where I was like, okay, we need to we need to put an EP out, and um, but it, it's a song for me and my friends. I just didn't really expect anybody else to to resonate with it, but 
the people of Oilton, Oklahoma love it so much. I couldn't not put it out. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that group of people has come to like every show they could possibly make it to. And they've been super supportive of me. So that song is for them. But yeah, I was in uh, southeastern Missouri at a at a festival uh, back in May, and there was a lady there that came up to me after the show, and she was like, I love that O-Town song. It reminds me so much of my hometown and the things we used to do and stuff, so that was cool to see. Um, but yeah, the, the reception's been really solid, for sure, um, especially with, obviously, the couple of big songs that have um, kind of couple of them made their rounds on social media. Would You Stay made it on a Spotify playlist, which is super cool. Uh, but Southern Town was kind of the lead single that's been teased on social media forever. And so that song and Would You Stay have done extremely well at live shows. Um, in fact, a few of the shows lately, people have been singing Southern Town back to me. And, they, and we actually did a show back in February at a venue in Stillwater, Oklahoma, called the Tumbleweed Dance Hall. Mm-hmm. And uh, for for this music scene, the Tumbleweed's a big place to play. And when we were there, uh, I can't remember if it was the first song or the last song we played, but people were screaming Southern Town back, and that was way before it got released. So that was super cool. That's awesome. And, and uh, for those that don't understand um, small town living in Oklahoma, so I, I grew up in a uh, big small town living in western Nebraska, uh, but Oilton, <laughs> Oklahoma, that is true small town living. I, I just looked up the population and it's right where I thought it was going to be big whopping 880 people in Oilton, Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I imagine they probably do love it. That's probably the biggest thing to come out of there in quite a few years. huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and I'm not from Oilton. Um, I'm sort of an adopted citizen of Oilton, Oklahoma. I have sure. a lot of great friends from Oilton. Uh, in fact, one of my, one of my best friends of uh, lifelong friends, Blake Barnes, is from there, and that's kind of how I got in with that crowd because we grew up racing dirt bikes together. Um, and yeah, so then you know it just kind of snowballed from there. People started hanging out with, or I should say, I started hanging out with everybody there more and more often through the years, and me playing guitar and singing at parties and stuff became more and more of a thing, and then. And then all of sure. a sudden I was playing at the local bar down the road and that became a big thing. And, um, you know, that's still a thing we do a couple times a year is go to that bar and play. And it's always a freaking bonanza. Um, I'm going there and next month actually, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if I looked at the metrics to see that most of the plays from, uh, on O-Town are from, town itself <laughs> well you know there's something to be said for uh going back to your your roots and and stay in one place if you look at um you know look at how turnpike or um well turnpike's maybe not a good good thing but um talk about um uh cross canadian ragweed they yeah they played the same bar every weekend for years and mm-hmm. they made that bar a, a go-to venue. You know what I mean? They, but yeah. um, so there's something to be said about about going back to your roots and and keeping keeping the the home crowd happy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yep. And it it's been an interesting thing to kind of learn is that you can't when you're first starting out, you can saturate the hell out of that, but then 
when you kind of get things moving, it's weird. Like if you oversaturate your home market, less and less people start showing up. Um, like the this month and next month, we've had a pretty decent run of local shows. And I've kind of had to be selective about which ones I like really advertise the shit out of to my family and friends because there's certain ones I want them to show up to more than others. You sure. Know? Um, sure. It's maybe not great for some of the venues that have booked me, but uh, you know, there's some of these shows that are bigger shows and I want the crowd to be bigger at these bigger shows because it looks good for everybody. You know? Sure. Um, so that's been kind of interesting. Like there's a, there's a venue in my hometown of Sand Springs that I played at in April and uh, it, it was a big night. Um, uh, they said it was a record night for them, which was super cool. And they were like, when can we get you back in here? And, you know, me and the bar owner both agreed, like, we can't do this, you know, every two weeks. Like, it's got to be maybe a couple times a year thing. That way it stays a big thing. Um, sure. But, but yeah, I've, I've talked to a bunch of other guys about this. It's almost, you almost need to go out of town, out of state to kind of make your name and, and then come back home when things are moving a little bit better for you. It, it definitely makes the home crowd more embracing of you when they see you're out doing things and they feel like you're making something of yourself i guess and then you come home and they're like hey you're killing it man and i'm like well wouldn't you the thing is you know we're actually about negative two thousand dollars right now but yeah we're killing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um that's a that's that's definitely a, a it's a balancing act for sure um it's what are, what what were some of your influences kind of coming up cuz i i do think you have kind of a unique sound um it's it's definitely a little bit red dirt a little bit classic country but uh who would you who would you classify as your kind of go to i guess you know people you were listening to coming up that were really big big influences to your style uh it's hard for me to nail down but I've always been a huge George Strait fan, um, and I, my music sounds nothing like George Strait right now. But I've always been a huge <laughs> George Strait fan, I, and I, I want to change that because I I do. You can look at my covers on Facebook and TikTok. You know, my I I have a voice for some of that sound, and so I need to write more music in the key of George Strait and Conway Twitty and stuff like that because it just. I do, I do, well, I do know that I fit in that lane pretty well vocally. Um, yeah. But lyrically, I, you know, I'm not a rodeo cowboy. Uh, as much as I would love to to have that on my resume, I'm not. And I, while I did spend a lot of time on my grandpa's cattle ranch growing up, um, you know, I, I can't say I spent every day of my upbringing working cows and and doing the texas cowboy thing and all that stuff you know i so it, it'd be hard for me to write music about that because i didn't live that sure. life you know but uh yeah but at the same time i do love that aesthetic and theme and um and i want to get more into music like that it's just a matter of writing about things that i want to write about but make it sound like that you know uh sure but also grew up with a lot of hard rock and hip hop music. Uh, my grandpa was a huge Black Sabbath fan. Um, most of okay. my most of my young life was 
driving around in the truck with him listening to the Paranoid CD by Black Sabbath. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I, I, I would, he wouldn't even say anything. I'd get in the truck and he'd turn on that, that CD, you know, and we'd go jamming down That's the road. That's funny. Um, but my parents were big into hair metal and uh, like late 80s, early 90s, hard rock, Metallica, Corn. Yeah. Um, Poison, Def Leppard, all that stuff. And then my stepdad was really into uh, 90s hip-hop. Um, and, you know, NWA and Snoop and um, uh, Into Deep and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I grew up with a pretty wide variety of musical influences. But country-wise, I mean, it was that 90s era that I really grew up listening to. And then... Sure. Uh, early, early 2000s as well, you know, Tim McGraw, Blake Shelton, and uh, Gary Allen, those guys that were pretty popular in the early 2000s. But I don't know. In terms of what influenced this record, mm, Southern Town, if you listen to uh, – what's the name of that song? It's a newer Blake Shelton song, but it's like, You can make a six-pack on the carpet, tastes like a million-dollar bill. You know, I can't remember the name of that song right now, but – the chord progression I, I mean, of you, that you covered it pretty well there. <laughs> <laughs> the chord progression of that song is uh, is basically the same as Southern Town. Uh, they're they're two very different songs, but I loved that chord progression in that song, and so I just started fooling around with it for a while, and eventually came on to uh, what Southern Town is now. Um, and then Casino Road, uh, that song. I guess Morgan Wallen has been a big influence for me for the last couple of years. I've been a big Morgan fan, but he uh, he's, I don't know, he's more willing to write about, I guess, kind of stereotypical country shit than I am. Like, the, uh, he's got a lot of songs that aren't that way, but I'm, I like to write about maybe more abstract topics sometimes that are still country themes, but they're not just boots, tailgate, campfire, party, all that stuff. Sure. Um, and I, I would say Morgan doesn't totally fit in that bro country lane, but, you know, there's still a lot of that in there. Um, but Casino Road was probably, I don't want to say it was directly influenced by Sand in My Boots, but I when I heard Sand in My Boots, especially the version where he does it with just a piano, have you seen that video? I I haven't. Um, okay, but so the Sand in My Boots radio cut is a good song, but that song really hit home for me when I watched him do it with just him and a piano. It's on YouTube, and it'll, you know, if you let yourself reminisce on an old relationship somewhere, it'll almost make you cry. <laughs> well, and, so you know, uh, you know, Santa, my boots wasn't written by Morgan, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. It was. Uh, okay. I can't. I can't remember who was the writers on that. And I, and Morgan. Yeah, that Morgan's was, a that co-writer was on a lot of his Ash stuff. But yeah, Ashley uh, Gorley written by Hardy, Hardy, Josh Osborne, and Ashley Gorley. So okay, yeah, um, yeah, Hardy always in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, um, but but yeah, just that. Uh, Casino Road was born out of a desire to do something like Sand in My Boots, I guess. I gotcha. Um, yeah, because I just, when I was putting these songs together for this EP, a lot of them were fairly upbeat. Um, not yeah. necessarily all happy themes, but they were all upbeat songs. And it was like, okay, this out, this record is supposed to be like small town 
stuff and happenings and there's no breakup song in here and that just ain't gonna be that ain't gonna be right <laughs> you can't have a small towns can't have a small town album without a breakup song you know so it's true um, it's true you know i i i'm a big um big fan of dwight yoakam and yeah. if you go and you look at some of his earlier um concerts that are on youtube and stuff like that part of what finally made uh dwight i think into that superstardom other than being you know tied to the tied to buck uh to buck so much but he writes sad songs all of his songs are sad songs in some way shape or form every dwight yoakam song is a sad song yeah so then again, it's it's also play into your strengths. Maybe you're just a generally happy guy. You know, who knows? I try to be. I mean, I you know, if I had the writing ability and vocal ability that I have now, when I was like a freshman or sophomore in college, I could have written some sad ass music. Um, yeah, because you know that that period of time of your life is so weird. Uh, I don't know if you went to college, but it. Like your freshman year is just such a weird transition phase of life because you you're leaving home for the first time. Most people are saying goodbye to their high school sweethearts that they thought they were going to be with forever, and um, yep. you're home you're homesick and you're questioning whether or not breaking up with that person was a good decision, and you're drinking all the time, <laughs> and so s- Sundays are for hangovers, and then you have all the stress of like trying to be successful in class on top of that. And it's just a weird phase of life where you could really get a lot of, of melodramatic themes out of it if you wanted to. Um, and so, you know, actually if you go listen to the first EP, the song everywhere, uh, on that EP, mm-hmm. which, um, it, it, it's born at the, the theme of that EP, you know, the song, the title track is take me home. And that's, kind of where i was at during that period of time it was like i'm i i i enjoyed college but i i was uh very out of place for that first year and a half you know and everywhere is a sad breakup song and take me home is a homesick song and you know take a drive has some of those same (laughs) themes in it too (laughs) well that's i mean that's growing pains i I didn't go the college route i'm looking back i kind of wish i had but i went the uh the army route and Oh yeah, yeah uh, that's a, a very the same stuff, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yep. Breaking up with people because you probably, whether you want to or not, unless you're ready to marry them, you're never going to see them again because they're going to go on with their life because uh, yep. they didn't join the army. You did, um, yep. you know. And my first duty station was in in Missouri, and then I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky. So it was like that's that's the farthest thing from Western Nebraska and. Um, you know, the little, little town of Colorado where I'd live the other half of my life. It's, it's just, um, you know, life kind of, life kind of goes on. But the cool thing about college is you get the opportunity to go back home quite often. And so you don't quite lose that same connection. I think that you do with going in the military, but anyways, um, yeah, well, you know, yes, you are right. I, in a, in a broad sense, you would be correct. Um, I would say I experienced a little bit of what you're talking about though about not feeling like you got to go back home very much because my my freshman year of college my parents split up and okay. sold my child sold my childhood home and moved to different places and you know so yep. even though I was going back home I wasn't going back home 
you know, so it, there yep. was a there was a lot of that too um, about you know I just wish I could things could go back to the way they were. Um, sure. So yeah, I, I understand that to some extent, um, and you know, I, I two of my best friends are finishing up a six year run in the Navy, and uh, you know, talking to them about just the the mental hardships of of doing that being so far from home for a long time even though they do get to come home a couple times a year but um you know my one of my best friends my whole life he's moving back to Oklahoma in November and I mean he's just punching a hole in the wall ready to get back you know it's been too long so yeah well and then it's it it, it's tough to kind of reintegrate because you know they've they've gone they've had their own life you know, meeting new people and they've, they've lived a, a totally separate life. And then a lot of times when they come back home, they, to some degree, expect things to be like it was and people yeah. they see, expect them to be like they were yeah. and everybody's grown and everybody's changed and it's tough. It, uh, I know when I went home to, um, the one time I've been home to, big old Scotts Bluff, Nebraska and in Western Nebraska, it was weird because, you know, when the last time I was there was high school and everything was clicks and, um, this group and that group and this group. And now you got people that have intermarried and divorced and had kids together and yeah, people that were complete failures in high school are now business owners. And it, it's just, you know, everything's kind of turned on its head. So it's, it's, it's crazy to see some of the, the change, um, that we we forsake when we're around it all the time but then mm-hmm. when somebody comes back home it's it's crazy but yeah no uh, for sure and, and that's uh my buddy that he's stationed in jacksonville florida and i've been talking to him about that over the last couple of years he's you know man i can't wait to get back home and hang with the boys and i'm like man i hate to tell you the boys ain't hanging like they used to um yeah <laughs> and you know it's not it's not for lack of my effort. I mean, you know, I'm married yeah. and have a kid and I'm still trying to hang out with the boys. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a really awesome wife that is more than happy to let me go hang out with the boys. Um, sure. But a lot of the boys are just for whatever reason, not hanging like they used to. Um, yeah. You know, I, well, life and, gets, uh, life gets weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then well, the last couple of times he's come home and, and seen, you know how how it's been you know it's like yeah i know what you're saying like i don't i don't know why people don't hang out anymore and i'm like i don't either but you know it just is what it is it is what it is exactly um tell me a little bit about um because i think a lot of people will credit if they're smart they'll credit the red dirt movement that happened a lot of years ago now um obviously out of oklahoma southern oklahoma um but what's the what's the what's the music scene like in in Oklahoma? I mean, you're kind of living it right now, so what's it what's it like? It's coming back. Yeah, it's uh I I think it, you know, somewhere around the time that Ragweed died off, it kind of was quiet for a while and no offense to anybody that was busting their ass during that period of time. I'm sure there were lots of them, but uh, and maybe it's just cuz I'm more involved in it now, but it really seems like it's coming back. I mean, every everywhere I go, I meet somebody that's, you know, got a decent following on Facebook and stuff that's from Oklahoma and playing music. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, you know, Calf Fry in Stillwater was huge this year. Um, there was like 30-something thousand people 
at Calf Fry this year, and there's a new music festival popping up all the time. Uh, they just had Born and Raised Festival this past weekend that had Turnpike and Whiskey Myers. Or wait, no, not I don't think Turnpike was there, but they had Whiskey Myers and Gary Allen, and uh, you know, but a a bunch of local acts were playing there, um, and old Zach Bryan's dad, Dwayne, he's a big sponsor, uh, or I shouldn't say sponsor, proponent of that festival and is doing a lot to advertise local artists from Oklahoma, which is really cool. Um, me and a, a good handful of Oklahoma artists got to play on a stage, a big stage outside the BOK center before Zach played in Tulsa. And that was all Dwayne orchestrating that. So that was super cool. Um, and then, uh, the, the tumbleweed, which is the guys that are responsible for calf fry, you know, they're putting on a lot of events t- that are showcasing mostly local guys, which is super cool, but it's, uh, it, yeah, it, it's, it feels like it's coming back. You know, there's a, there's a lot of talent coming out of Oklahoma right now. I mean, you got Zach Bryan, Caitlin Butts, uh, Cam Allen, Corey Kent. Um, and you know, I would say that's kind of the, the junior class of, uh, well, Zach Bryan's not. Zach Bryan is definitely senior or graduated. But, uh, you know, the, 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 those are kind of the, the junior class of, of people that are coming out of Oklahoma. And then you got guys like me and uh, Brandon Bethel and uh, Brady Stetson and Carly Nash and Avery Stinnett and, um, you know, a handful of others that are sort of the freshman, sophomore class coming out of Oklahoma, I would say. And so th- there's a. There's a good group of talented guys that are are definitely uh, making some noise around this part of the world. So are you are you mainly focusing your efforts on playing Oklahoma venues? Have you ventured down into Texas at all? Uh, has Texas been receptive to you at all? I definitely say we're we're not solely focused on Oklahoma. Um, in fact, uh, I've gotten quite a few opportunities this year to play out of state, which has been cool. We've been to South Carolina, Charleston. Um, been to Jacksonville, Alabama. Uh, we're going there again in October. I'm playing in Ohio and Kentucky in November. Um, and we've been to southeastern Missouri and, uh, we've been out of Texas a few times, been to Fort Worth a couple times, been, we were just in Valley View last weekend, which is north of Denton. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, the the stockyard scene i don't know it's hard to judge reception because it's all about selling beer down there you know people are there to party and if there's good music great um we played we played some venues in the stockyards i'm not going to name them but i probably won't go back to them they just were piss poor treatment of the artists and talking to other guys from that scene they all agreed that they hate playing there um so you know, it's kind of been mixed in terms of Texas, um, but uh, oh, I played in Dallas too last December, um, and that was a great show. It was a smaller place on uh, in uh, what the heck's the name of that part of town? I don't know. It was kind of like a kind of like an indie vibe in that part of town. I can't remember where it was at. But, in Dallas? Yeah. Southern Dallas or Northern Dallas? Uh, I think it was Northeast Dallas. Northeast Dallas, um, if I remember correctly. So kind of up by um, like McKinney area. Let me look here. Or on like the map. in downtown, kind of. It's it's downtown, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so um, northeast would be up by SMU. 
up by Southern Methodist University, and that would be kind of an indie vibe. And then there's also the uh, Deep Ellum area that's down there. Deep Ellum, that's what it was. Yeah, yep. Deep Ellum. Um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a bar show, but I mean, great crowd. You cool, know, cool bands that have played down there, and um, I, I'm sad that I've missed a lot of them because like Fort Worth keeps me so busy, but. Um, yeah. I really like Billy Strings, and Billy Strings played mm. Deep Ellum, and man, blew that place up. It was crazy down there. Oh, yeah, um, I bet. I mean, it's so. going to be hard not to when you can flat pick like that. I know, right? <laughs> he could sit up there and play guitar the whole time and never sing a word, you know, and it would be great. <laughs> well, he could sing the wrong words and just keep playing like he is, and nobody would care because I don't know yeah. that anybody knows. I don't know if they listen to him for uh the words to his songs except for uh, uh the one where he has you know he's uh, talking about the dime bag that he's got um yeah <laughs> i ain't slept in seven days i haven't yeah. ate in three <laughs> yeah <laughs> methamphetamine has got a damn good hold of me right I'm sure that's um <laughs> yeah i i had like you can see the guitars in my background i had this um this naive thought that I was going to pick up a guitar again in my adult life after giving <laughs> it up after two lessons, keep in mind my freshman year in high school, because I needed new tires on my truck. I had this, this thought that I was going to be this great guitar player. And I told uh, a friend of mine who teaches guitar, um, I said, this is the, the first song I want you, uh, first song I want you to teach me. And it was, um, man, I, my brain is somewhere else. Give me a second. I'll pull up. The, I'll pull up the song. It was, uh, of course, it was a Billy String song, but it was, <laughs> and that was one of the first songs you wanted to learn. That was the first song I wanted to learn. Absolutely, man. Ambitious. <laughs> I know. I know. It was. Uh, come on. What was that song? Was it on Turmoil Tinfoil? Uh, man. I have no delusions of grandeur on learning Billy String songs. I mean, I right. I try to get well, better at playing guitar all the time, but like I I know my place as a front man, and <laughs> you know I I kind of let my guitar players do the guitar playing for the most part. Uh huh. Um, I would say I'm a qualified so rhythm acoustic yeah, player. Yeah, that's too bad, right? But that, that was Hellbender. Yeah, I, the other one was... I would say that's a. That's a mellow introduction to Billy Strings for sure in terms of guitar. No, there was a <laughs> there was a song he did that was um I'd have to go back and look. It was it was like the it was like his it was just him playing guitar. And I can't remember what it was. I'll I'll send it to you later, but um I don't know. It was it was like he just kinda goes off in La La Land playing guitar and it's it's pretty yeah. crazy. Well, Austin, obviously you've got quite a social media following, but where can people find you on social media? What's the, what's all the handles? Everything is at Austin Dixon Music, and I had to bend a couple people's elbows to get them to give me that handle. But uh, but yeah, I was able to get everything consistent across platforms, thankfully. So everywhere you go, That's TikTok, a big deal, Facebook. Man. That's a big deal. Yeah. TikTok, Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, it's all at Austin Dixon Music. Awesome. And then um, where can find – is that where you're posted about your shows? Do you have a website? Building a website right now. Um, 
you know, I, I'm a pretty tech savvy guy, but that's a bigger undertaking than I anticipated. So that is uh, a work in progress. But uh, sure. yeah, for right now, if you go to Facebook, I always have my show schedule po- uh, pinned at the top of my profile, and uh, I try to post it fairly often on Instagram and TikTok as well. But obviously, like we were talking about, things can get lost on those platforms a lot easier than Facebook. So, sure, sure. And then um, a couple random questions for you. They're, they're going to be kind of rapid fire. So you ready? Yeah. All right. If you could pick one person, living or deceased, to write a song with, who would you pick? Mm, probably Elvis. Really? Yeah. Okay. Any particular reason why? Um, he's just like the the god of modern music, man. Like, okay. I don't. I mean that. Just music in general. I mean, country music wise, I, you know, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that writes for George Strait, like, has written almost all of George Strait's hits. I can't remember his name, but, but that guy, uh, in terms of country music, but music in general, Elvis. Um, I, I just, I don't know. There's something about Elvis that was always so cool to me. And then, uh, especially after watching the new movie they came out with about him, it's a, it's more of a sad movie than anything. But I just. I love his story and love that he was, um, I think some people consider him as someone who appropriated a lot of, uh, black culture at the time, uh, you know, all mm-hmm. the soul and Motown music, um, and, you know, kind of the new Orleans scene that there was at that time. But, uh, but in reality, I think he was just, he kind of came up around that music and that's what he sure. was into and, and just how, how early on he was in in um you know blending that culture with a really white people music at the time um i just always thought that was super cool in a time where that was largely unacceptable that he was willing to be a part of that anyway and just always really respected that and obviously who he was as a musician i mean he was uh, he was a god at the time so just sure Elvis is just such a, an icon to me. So, yeah, that would be All right. one for sure. So this next one, I actually got it off of um, this other guy I follow on TikTok. He's this, um, this he goes by, goes by the handle, the Englishman in Texas. Yeah. But um, he actually posted about football. I, I, tran- I transitioned it a little bit to what this is. So you've got, um, you got Gibson, Martin, Fender, and Takamini, you which one would you pick to have never existed? Like you had Gibson. one of them has to go away, and one and guitar brand, never, one guitar brand. You have you have to pick one, but if you pick it, that one never existed. Which one would you pick? Uh, I'm playing one right now, but I'm gonna go with a cop out and say Yamaha because they're just not as. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually i i love my yamaha acoustic guitar that i have it sounds amazing uh but sure. in, in terms of in terms of the grand scheme of music i just don't feel like they've been near as influential as some of those other brands have been so <laughs> I'll, I'll allow the cop out i'll allow the cop out all right um and then the last one actually comes from my uh my co-host's son um when he goes on the the smith music uh 
podcast, which is Texas Tailgate, um, that they do live um, along with playing and all this other stuff they do. But his question that he always asks is, what would your spirit animal be? My spirit animal? Uh, white-tailed deer. There's something in that. Um, any particular reason why you picked white-tailed deer? Uh, you know, I hunt them, so it's maybe an oxymoron, but, uh, it, <laughs> but, but I, I, even though I hunt them, I've just always been enamored with how, uh, how, if, how proficient they are at moving through the landscape. They just like, they, they hit the woods, they get five feet into the trees and they're gone. You can't see them anymore. And they're sure. so, they're so for how unintelligent they are, they're very intelligent animals. Um, they're very just in tune with their surroundings. And there's something about modern life. I feel like we've lost that, just the being in tune with nature and our surroundings and, and our awareness of of uh, what's going on in the world. And, and there's just something about watching a deer be so aware of everything that's around it, um, except for young bucks in the rut who are completely unaware of everything. But we can understand that, right? Uh, but you know, it's just, there's just something about watching them and how intelligent they are and how cunning and, and quiet and everything. I just, I don't know. I just, I love that about white-tailed deer. And so I, I love watching them as much as I love hunting them. <laughs> so the, uh, I've had, I've, my, my, most of my hunting life, I've hunted mule deer, not, not white-tail. Yeah, and um, the first time I went whitetail hunting, I was telling you before we started the podcast, was on. Um, it was actually out in North Carolina, and yeah. it was during the tobacco harvest. But I had never had a doe snort at me, like territorially oh, yeah. snort at me in my life, and it. I'm not even gonna lie; it scared the shit out of me. It was. The it, North Carolina has these like vine walls, mm-hmm. and I was on a um, uh, it was a kind of a lane that they cut for the power lines, and um, down at the bottom was it's it's kind of like a perfect. You can just sit at the top of the hill, and I was do, we were doing archery, and um, they cross kind of right down there. Well, I was walking kind of down that hill, and I kid you not, I was probably ten inches from this doe but the vines were so thick you could not see her um Mm. she just sat there and just started basically snorting and hissing at me and yeah i was not ready for that (laughs) yeah white white tail does are the biggest pain in the ass when you're hunting because for whatever reason they're just they're the most skittish of of all the different age groups and 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 you know between the bucks and does like a mature doe is going to blow your hunt before any other animal will because they'll spot you when you think you're being perfectly still and they'll stare right at you and sound the alarm for five minutes. And it's like, hey, I know, you caught me. Go away, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But then I got down here to Texas and, man, you can time these whitetail. I mean, if you see that whitetail at 1 o'clock in the afternoon at – you know that particular spot come back tomorrow at one o'clock in the afternoon they'll be there again it's like you yeah. can you can just they're on a perfect circle um 
and mule deer they're on a similar circle their circle is just a lot bigger so if you saw it at one o'clock on you know the second week of of september um come back the third week of october and they'll be there <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah and the, i i've there's you can pattern whitetails here in oklahoma somewhat but it just depends where you're hunting sometimes like the property i hunt most here it's kind of a rut property like the bucks don't really show up until the last week of october and they're not really on a pattern they're just chasing does and you kind of got to get lucky but uh sure. but yeah i mean in, in terms of does on the property there's a couple stands where like i've got a buddy who just likes to shoot a doe every year he doesn't care to shoot bucks and i'm like okay well these two stands right here you can sit them opening day and probably shoot two does if you want <laughs> yeah yeah i it's well, and, you know, I, like I said, I grew up in western Nebraska, so I always had land to hunt on when I was in western Nebraska. But Nebraska and Colorado, they got tons of public hunting land. Like, you can just, uh, you can go hunt public land, and it's like walk-in type stuff. You don't need special permits or anything. You just need a driving license, and you walk in. Yeah. Texas, man, everything is privately owned. Like, you got to, and nobody wants to tell you where you can hunt because, you know, they if they if they tell you, then that's their... That's their chance to get their deer. That's their hunting, hunting in Texas yeah. is weird. Yeah, so. I, I've heard that, that Texas is mostly private. There's a decent amount of public in Oklahoma, but I did pretty much exclusive public hunting when I was living in Wisconsin, and that is some of the hardest hunting you'll ever do is on public land, especially in a place like Wisconsin where it's illegal to leave stands overnight. So you're packing everything in, sometimes a mile or two back into this property, hanging it up, sitting for three or four hours, tearing it back down and walking two miles back out. I mean, I did that, yep. you know, three or four times a week for two seasons in Wisconsin. And by the time I moved back down here and had access to some private ground, I was like, eh, I'm over it. I, I learned a lot and maybe hardened myself a little bit by hunting that way. But I don't, if I don't have to, I'm not going to anymore. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, um, I think we'll go ahead and kind of end it there. Austin, thank you so much for joining on us to join join with me today and sitting on the podcast um i just do want to give a quick run through our sponsors again uh, so hang out don't go nowhere yet but a big thank you to smithmusic.com uh, texas select beverage company our watson boots um sharp supply leather company single microphones and um, fort worth camera wow I don't know why I'm having so hard getting having a hard time getting all our sponsors out today, but anyways, but again, Austin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.